Okay, and we're live. Uh, I am here with... I'm going to just go with what you called yourself on your book. I've got uh, Arlene Anderson, the author of Hard Fall, High Bounce, How Adversity and Resilience Led to Your Decade of Global Adventures and Misadventures. How was that? Was that, was that a decent intro? That was great. Yeah, you've got every word. <laughs> <laughs> of course. It's a lot of words. So was this your first book? It's actually my third book. Third book. My wow. Third, book. third time's I the charm. I wrote a business management book uh, 25 years ago, and then I wrote a gourmet cookbook with 400 pages in 2014, and those were written with other people. So this is the first book that is totally mine. Okay, I'm really interested in the cookbook. What's that one called? Is it available? <laughs> uh, it's not available. I have it on my coffee table. Uh, we sold out of the copies that we had. Um, it was the New Scenic Cafe, uh, which is a popular restaurant in Minnesota. Was it all poutine recipes? Because that's all I know about uh, Minnesota and that cuisine. Oh. <laughs> um, it was, it's mostly American food, but also... Uh, there's some Vietnamese and some Mexican and Italian, everything mixed in. There was something that I know took Iranian um, cotton candy and used that. Interesting. I don't cook, but I wrote down everything that the chef did. So. Ah, friends with chefs, I see. So friends with chefs. What was the uh, what was the inspiration behind writing this third uh, hard fall, high bounce, all by yourself? What uh. What prompted you to say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not taking any help here? Well, I, it's my story, so it's, you know, no one else really was there sharing it with me, so it uh, <laughs> seems a whole thing. But really? I also, it, I came up to about 10 years from when I quit my corporate job, and that seemed like a very good anniversary looking back at, in 2012, I had a really good job at a hospital running an education department for 17, well, 17 hospitals and 65 clinics. And, you know, I knew someone else could do that job. They didn't have to have me. And I really wanted to travel, write, and teach. And when I got divorced and my mom died, those were the two people that I'd built my life around for the decade before, I thought, okay, I'm able to do what I want to now. And so I did. Where was the first place you went when you were you felt free? The first place I went was China. Oh, I, wow. I had wanted to go to China for 20 years and almost got there. And then Tiananmen Square happened and the State Department wouldn't let me go. So 19 years later, I did get to China. And um, I got to go as a, as, a, as a lecturer in a business department at an international school. Oh, wow. That's that's. Awesome. I mean, I don't think you can go to China right now, at least not easily. So, I mean, good for you. Good timing on that. Yeah, I'm very thankful for the year that I had there. Was uh, was there a culture shock? Was there a learning curve for you at all? Or were you pretty much just all set and prepared for your for your journey with that? No, I, I think you always have culture shock. I had been there three times prior, and uh, I was taking MBA students over internationally. So I had taken international, my, my graduate students to that college three times before I moved there. 
So I knew what China was like as a tourist, but I didn't know what China was like as someone who was living there. And that was the draw for me, because there are so many mysteries, you will never understand what's really going on. I like that. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, I'm sure, I mean, there's still like a power company, right? You still have to pay bills and whatnot. Like it still translates over as far as living, right? Like it's pretty much the same experience, I'd imagine. Well, um, yes, you have to get, uh, like one of the things I learned was when I went to get a ticket to get on the subway, I stood in line and everyone kept, it seemed to me, butting in. So I was never going to get to the front of the line. And that's where you think, okay, are these, is, is this whole country rude? No, I have to get curious, not angry. So I started paying attention and I realized I was putting this much space between me and the person ahead of me. Well, in China, you can't leave space. They think that's an opening. They don't know I'm even in line. So <laughs> I'm like, okay, I got to get right up in, right up in here. And I of course got my ticket and Little things like that, that if you don't understand what's happening, you can make judgments that are way off. It, it's really hard not to take things personally. That's for sure. I've definitely run into that of just, I mean, even just driving. I've found that most like road rage incidents are my own projections. Anytime mm -hmm. I get mad at another driver because they cut me off, like how dare they, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can definitely, I can definitely vibe with you on that. Where, uh, where to next? We're after China. Um, let's see, I came back and then I, from, from China, I got the opportunity to go to Ecuador. Oh, wow. That's a long, long flight. <laughs> that's another whole other direction here. And, uh, but one of the couples that I worked with in China bought some land in Ecuador and it was a couple, an American couple, but the guy wasn't going to be able to go right away. So his wife asked me if I wanted to come and be with her for a couple of months while she started their company. And people don't have to ask me more than once. I'll, I'll go. And uh, so I started going to Ecuador, and I stayed with her, and I met a lot of people. And, um, and then I met someone in dance class who invited me to come and stay with his family for the next time that I went down there. And uh, I rented a room from them. And he said the price of $300 was my own room, my own bathroom, and the laundry and everything. Mm. And... Then he started asking me what I wanted at the grocery store. And I, I thought, well, it doesn't really matter. I can get that. But the $300 was to feed me and house me for a month at a time. Amazing. So, I, uh, Ecuador is economically worth it for sure. <laughs> yeah. One of my friend's parents, they went on vacation to Istanbul. They were going to go to Vegas, but then they realized how much cheaper it would be to go to Turkey. And they ended wow. up spending like an extra three weeks celebrating their honeymoon in, in Turkey just because it was that much cheaper. Oh, I'm very happy to hear that because I'm going there in December. Oh, yeah. Uh, are you going to Istanbul? I am. It is a shame that he's not here right now because he can yes. tell you all about it. He was like he spent way too much time there, according oh, wow. to him. Yeah. Um, so how many languages can you speak, by the way? Because you're jumping all over the place where English is not a primary language. Well, I did not get anywhere with Mandarin, I can tell you that. I could, you know, I could say I don't want that and I need a taxi and, you know, chicken, things like that. Right. Um, so you just use a lot of hand gestures. But I do speak fluent Norwegian and English. And I'm trying to learn Spanish, but it's pretty terrible. It's pretty. 
I'll just say, terrible, yeah. <laughs> muy malo. <laughs> so, está bien. It's a, I it's know a, a lot of words, uh, palabras, muchas palabras. But muchas palabras. No, <laughs> uh, no grammatico. No, uh, yeah. Uh, what's the word for syntax? Yeah. <laughs> Como se dice syntax? <laughs> I can't um, tell you. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean. I've, I took two years of Mandarin in high school, but they were split. So I took one my freshman year and then Chinese two my senior year. So that did not help me at all. I oh. can still speak to a three-year-old. I, I When I used to teach kids, I, I had one Chinese student and he was two, three years old, but we, we were able to talk. It was cool. Oh, was that's cool. very good. Yeah, yes, yeah. I, I, I was taught to say ni hao xiao peng yo, which is hello little friend. Right. Yes, yes, yeah. of course, yeah. And yeah, I uh the only thing that's ever translated into my adult life from that is I can recognize when it's not Mandarin. I know oh. when I'm looking at characters that are not and when they are. So yeah. I guess that kind of helps in some regards cuz then I can find somebody who speaks Chinese, I guess. Yeah. I guess. It's right. a start. Yeah, I'm so impressed. So you're in, you, you'd say you're in Oak Ridge now, as far as where you've established a home base or do oh, you? I'm in Maryville. Maryville, right. Yeah. It's, well, sorry. This, this whole area to me is Knoxville, but I know when you tell people that are like from Farragut or whatever, no, I'm from Farragut. So, right. Oh. Yeah. Um, how'd you end up here? What, what brought you to East Tennessee? Well, I had been bopping around the world between China and Ecuador and I was living in Norway the summer before I came here and I really wanted to have one place again and have community and long-term right. friends and, right you know, maybe <laughs> you a house that. like an adult would have and uh, so I was aware of Cirrus Aviation which is a company I had done some contractual work for and they offered me a job in Knoxville Alcoa and so I accepted the position as manager of flight training technical services. I've done a lot of different kinds of jobs, but I, I love that company. So that okay, I'm going to take a real job. <laughs> yeah, a real job. I mean, that's a great way to get stable. That's kind of what I did because I've been in Knoxville a year and I never saw myself here in all of my travels. I, I've traveled the U.S. I, I haven't really gone abroad. The two times I have, I don't count it. I mean, do you count a cruise? I don't count a cruise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's uh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I accidentally ended up in Mexico a couple of times, but yeah, it's really easy to do that on the West Coast. If you just ride the five down, there's no stop. You're just, okay, now you're in Mexico. Wow. Suddenly. Then wow. you're, but there's like a 12 hour line back in. So I guess we're pretty popular. That's the pop. That's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what was weird, like I grew up in Florida and it's there's a large Hispanic community in Florida. I mean, statewide, but I never, never learned Spanish until I moved to California. Then, I mean, everybody speaks Spanish there because oh, Florida is not on a border with anything. And so I never had the border town experience. So did you uh, stay in any border towns abroad where there were like, cause I mean, it'd be a different country at that point too. That's yeah. Um, I, uh, well in Europe, everything is pretty tight together and, and Norway and Sweden, I was going back and forth a lot. And then Denmark also, their languages are all related, but different. Right. So you can recognize what it is and a little bit of what the story is, but you, you can't speak it. 
um, if you speak Norwegian, you can't speak the others necessarily, but you can read it. Was there like a uh, was there like a lingua franca in between all the Scandinavian countries? Was there one thing everybody everybody shared? Was there like a you could bet on that this person will be able to speak this? If they were under fifty years old, English. Oh, nice. Yeah, nice. I know. <laughs> I know. I would I would be really careful to practice to say you know make a phone call and say could I please speak with Kanyai Fasnokame and then I'd say the name and they would answer yes just a minute. Oh, nice. It's like, okay. <laughs> they can tell that yeah. everyone wants to practice their English. But, I mean, it's at least a sign of respect on your end to realize you're a guest in their house. You know what I mean? That, like, yeah. I feel like it is Amer it's kind of the American way to be like, I'm going to speak English no matter where I am, you know, and expect yeah. people to meet you halfway. It's, it's unfortunate. And you really learn about a culture in, when you're learning their language. Yeah, so. well, what was it, Mark Twain, that said it, he who speaks only one language doesn't speak any at all or something like that? Yeah, I'm not a quotes oh, guy. That's that's something that, that that's a good one. Yeah. So uh, you you uh, you wrote about your Scandinavian experience, though, in, in your book, right? Was there any uh, any stories that you'd like to share from the book that kind of like stand out that might make people want to read this? Because I mean. The if the title alone doesn't make you want to read it, Hard Fall, High Bounce, I mean, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, just when people going through a hard time and, you know, it can become great after that is my point. Um, um, Norway, I have small stories and, and larger stories. So um, one small story would be um, they have a park in Oslo that is completely statues of women. Huh. And... I don't know that they have that anywhere else in the world. Um, everyday women, angels, I mean, all kinds of things. But they're, they're, um, one of their statues is a woman from, um, I'm going to show it. I don't think you can probably see it too well here. But as my cousins and I were walking past this statue, they pointed out that if you wait for a minute, it's a woman with her pants down, uh, squatting on the ground, and she, she's peeing. Yeah, it kind of it kind of looks. I mean, I didn't assume that at first, but you know, now that you say it, yeah, now that you say if, it, yeah. If you wait for a, a minute, the statue will pee. Which there's no sign about it. You just have to know. <laughs> it's like old faithful. So, it's wonderful. And 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 then I, I I have a lot of stories about when things went wrong. My cousin Knut put me on a bus, and I was going to another family member's house, and he says nothing can go wrong. They know you're coming. I'm putting you on this bus. And something in my head, like nothing can go wrong. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. And of course, 10 minutes into the bus ride, a car crashes into the back of the bus. And so the driver, so everyone's getting off. I have no idea what to do and I have no telephone. I don't know how to tell anyone anything. And, and people just start going in all kinds of directions. So it was really hard to tell what to do. And, um, of course, I got rescued, and just how people in the world are out there trying to help you. There, you, you'll always find help. I have, I have a lot of those kinds of stories, where you, things go wrong. Was uh, I mean, that's almost like a near-death experience. Have you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is it your only near-death experience? A near-death. Uh, there were times I wanted to die. I'll tell you. I'll tell you one of these. Um, there's a story in here about. Um, being in France, and I lived with a, a French family for a month, 
and um, the they were you know anytime I could find a French word that I could say I tried to use it because I was there teaching English but they wanted they were always happy if I said something in France so after dinner I have a picture here of of Pictionary and there were the grandparents and the kids and the parents whole family was there and someone says who wants to play Pictionary and I know the word for I want to play so I I very clearly announce yes I want to play and everyone starts falling over laughing and I didn't know why so finally after they regain their breath the mother comes over and I have it I have the dictionary here because there's a word that's joyeur and there's a word joyeur oh goodness very close very but not quite so when they said who wants to play Pictionary? My answer was, yes, I want an orgasm. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> to the whole, the whole family. And then I have a picture in my book about, uh, I visited four years later, and that's me with the red face, because four years later they were still telling everyone this story. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, you'll never live that down. You're a part of the family now. Yeah. I am never speaking French again, I can tell you that. It's just not what I'm going to do. <laughs> so I have a lot of, you know, little, I tried to make it fun because, you know, there's so many fun things that happen. It's so dangerous to have that word being so close to the other word, but hey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I had to include the dictionary because I couldn't believe it myself. I thought I, I thought I knew a word, but. You're just like one linguistics class away from avoiding that, but you know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's okay. I, I haven't read that book either. Uh, so like, is this, because you're a musician as well. Yes. Is this where you get a lot of your inspiration for your songs from your travels? Or were you already like neck deep into being a musician at this time? And it was just like something you continued to do. Well, I could be a musician when I was, even before I had any money. You know, I like, yeah. I grew up poor. <laughs> <laughs> but I grew up musical and I always played music wherever I was. And um, so when I moved to Norway the first time, I formed an Irish band. Right. Because, you know, you can do English. And Yo, Where else know. are they going to speak English in Norway? The Irish pub, of course. That's right. That's right. So I could get I could get work there for my band and then make money when I was there. And I played with two Norwegians and... Um, and then when I went to China, I also have a story in my book about going into the music store, happy they were open in my neighborhood. And I walked in, I didn't really think it through. And here's a Chinese, a young Chinese guy behind the counter. He's looking at me and I'm looking at him. He's looking at me. I got nothing. <laughs> I realized. <laughs> um, so I, I did an air guitar. That mm -hmm. guitar. So he he smiles and he pulls the guitar off the wall and hands it to me and he pulls another guitar off and he starts playing country roads. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. So immediately, and I can sing harmony to anything. So right. we, we country roads and then he starts playing Adele's rolling in the deep. Okay. So it's like, we didn't have any language, but we could have a good time just playing. Isn't that the beauty of music? Isn't oh, it? it sure is. And and in Ecuador, I got adopted by an Ecuadorian band. Oh. And so we have a number of um, YouTube videos out there. Oh, 
care to share for anybody who wants to stalk you? Oh, <laughs> well, let's see. You probably could. You could probably do Arlene Anderson and um, Blackbird. Blackbird is the song, but it's by John Gabriel Toro is playing with me, and um, Ocarina O K A R I N A, Arlene Anderson and Ocarina. Ah, that's a cool band. Yeah. Uh, yes, it is actually. It is. It's the first thing you you will find if you look that up. Uh, okay. Totally, totally recommend that. I'm totally going to listen to that because that, that's unreal. How many instruments do you play? Um, I play a little bit of keyboard and I play guitar and I play an Irish drum. The the Bodrain or which one? Bowron. Bowron. Mm -hmm. Wow, look at me, uncultured swine. Oh no, <laughs> people say that word in like a hundred different ways. Oh, and I can play spoons. Now that I moved to Tennessee, I took up the spoons. That, that was the country move, spoons? <laughs> yeah. Interesting. And clogging. Clogging. <laughs> yeah, I've noticed the Appalachian culture leans to clogging. I have, a, I have a relative who clogs, and he got his daughter clogging, and they just love it. And I'm like, where? There you go. Ow. It's good exercise. Yeah, I, I guess so. I guess so. if you got rhythm, right, it's, it's a great way to... Work your there way you into go. dancing. Yeah. So I mean, during uh, the pandemic, I bought a, a dance floor. I you gotta survive. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. The pandemic was rough. Did that affect where were you when the pandemic started? Because a lot of your travels sound quite recent. Um, well, they were in the last 10 years, but uh I was in Marival during the pandemic. Oh, okay. And um so yeah, I wasn't able to travel. And that's partly probably why I thought about pulling out some articles and and writing the book because that was a way of traveling so even though i couldn't really do it anymore yeah time traveling almost you time know traveling yeah right yeah. this is uh, so this was a pandemic project in a way in a way yeah. yeah at the very end of it yeah yeah like i mean this book just came out you did it earlier this year i think i started it in december and it came out in july that's a how do you do that i mean i've <laughs> written a book and it's taken me like a year just to like get the entire story out, let alone editings and whatnot. I guess it's easier when it's your story and not something you're making up, but yeah, that's, yeah, that's definitely. remarkable. Well, it can take me to, it can take me 10 years to write a song. Just <laughs> so, some of them just really have to marinate for a while, but this, you know, these stories were just fun, some fun things that I knew. And then I just pulled out the, the pictures to go with them. There are 63 pictures in there. So, wow. That's a lot of, a lot of photos. It's kind of that one of the weird cool. things about being a writer is you can write anything. Like writing music is just another form of writing. You can you've written cookbooks, business manuals. You know, yeah. I've I've kind of been in the same boat of like I had to write a policies and procedures manual for a refugee youth mentoring program, wow. and I started from scratch. But I'm like, it's just like writing a song. It's just like that part of my brain of all right, we're filling space here. It's like painting a canvas, whatever. I, I'm not yeah. much of a painter, but it's it's, it's kind of weird. Information and delivering it in a way that people can use it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you just find multiple mediums. It's crazy. It's crazy. Do yeah. you uh, so do you identify as a songwriter before being a musician, or what? What, what do you actually call yourself? Professional traveler, author. I mean, you got a lot of titles. You got a lot of. Are you a doctor yet? No, <laughs> no, but I'm dating one. <laughs> right, of course. So you got that's a compliment. You know, you gotta like date the person. Yeah, who, yeah. you gotta have people smarter than you around you, right? <laughs> all right. Well, you're the sum of your five closest friends and all the books you read, or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
So I'm very happy to know you because I can't wait to see what you write and what you're going to be doing and lots of years ahead of you. I appreciate that. Please keep me in your thoughts and prayers. It's yeah. one day at a time for sure. Yep. That's how it works. Yeah. So you also said in your book that you had a medical issue. Uh, I did. I did. I did not know about this. I did not know this about you. What? Uh, what happened? What happened well, to you? In fact, that's a wonderful thing. And if you're going to have something wrong with you, what I have is really great because no one can tell unless you tell them. And I've learned through the years to be a little more open about it because others are struggling. And um, for me, I was healthy until I was 14, and then I got Crohn's disease, and um, it's kind of an intestinal thing. And yeah. by the time I was 16, they took out half of my body. So wow. I'm hollow. And so, so to eliminate waste, I have to carry a, it's like a little plastic bag on my side. And there's, I don't know, a million and a half people in the US like me, so I'm not that unusual. But it's unusual that I've had it almost 50 years. This, and Not the and same bag. I'm sure you change bags every so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't have like a 50-year-old yeah. bag on you. There's, there's, a little, there's a little work to this thing. And then, of course, when I'm traveling, I have to carry all my medical supplies. But, but I also had been asked to write this book by parents and patients that said, you know, my, my child has this or my sister has this and they think that life is over and they don't know what, you know, they're all upset. And could you write your story so that they know, hey, you know, you can still live your life. And um, so in, in some ways it was in response to those requests as well. It's, to, it's, until, you know, maybe it's not a medical thing, whatever your, your handicap is, well, maybe you think you can't do something but think again. Is kind of my point. It's uh, yeah, it's very underrepresented. Uh, this is a terrible story I'm going to share with you. But my friend's dad, he's uh, one of those type A personality guys. He's a lawyer. He uh, and he was like in his mid 50s. And he's at the gym as he normally is. Mm -hmm. And he was on the leg press and he blew out his uh, I think he blew out his rectum on the leg uh -huh. press. And they had to do a quick reconstructive surgery and he needed the colostomy bag for about three or four months and I had never seen a man just like so like his ego was just non-existent at that point yeah <laughs> there was one time we were in the uh we were just like in his dining room and and he farted and we all just got out of the bag and we all just kind of looked at him <laughs> like we were like 13 14 it was just you could tell he was very embarrassed but we were just trying to make him feel better about it but I mean it happens and it's it's crazy yeah. I I couldn't imagine like part of why I traveled was I have it pretty easy, at least in the genetic department. Uh, Good. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I can travel light, but see, like I've met people with diabetes who have to travel and, you know, they have to be on a specific eating schedule and all that. And so like, yeah, yeah no, I, for, I mean, God, with what you went through and just having to explain that to people, especially host families, maybe just be yeah. like, Hey, sorry, I might need a little extra time here. Or, oh, I can't do that. Has it affected any like physical activity for you? Um, no, I've been, I've been snorkeling in the Great Barrier Reef and I've been riding horses in Iceland and I did the Blue Lagoon in Iceland and I've been rock climbing in Norway and uh, rafting in Denmark and, um, I mean, I, I'm careful about making sure I have the right supplies with me, Right. but no, it, it hasn't stopped me from anything. 
Right. So Everest is next on your list, right? No, no. I like the view from the bottom of a mountain myself, actually, <laughs> these days. But so, I've, I've done a lot of hiking. Yeah. Yeah. Hiking is great. Did you hike the Alps at all? No, but I'm going to Switzerland in four weeks. Wow. So you're still traveling. You're still, despite everything, you're just like, you know what? Not out of you. It's just even like once you try and settle down, it's still like in you, still follows you. Yeah, this is me settling down. But um, the, closest. <laughs> but the book is written, and now, I don't know, COVID, we'll just have to see what it does. But I, I, I asked my cousin Knut for his um, address in Zurich because he's in the book. And he said, well, you know, it would be better if I brought it in person. And all he had to do was say that once. And I said, okay, I'm coming. <laughs> so, so this is... The picture of Knut, he's a hiker, and uh, he found some antlers. Wow. And uh, then he asked if I wanted to carry these giant antlers back to Oslo on the train. So <laughs> I had to walk around with these big antlers. <laughs> uh, did you feel like a poacher? Yeah, I felt like a super tourist. Like, oh. <laughs> so just out of curiosity, what was like, if you could recommend maybe one or two destinations to see before you die for the average non-traveler or dilettante of world traveling, what places really stood out to you that you would be like, you know, really worth seeing before you die? Um, well, I liked everywhere that I went. But of if, course. Other, if I had to pick one, I would say Northern Norway. Northern Norway. Did the you get local to see? Islands are just incredibly beautiful. You get to see the lights. Where is that? Do the northern lights hit up there? You get oh, some sure, kind yeah. of aurora up there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Nice. Definitely. You go. You can go kayaking in the islands. It's it's nice. If you if you hit a nice day. <laughs> oh right. Is it? I mean, I guess the stereotype is that it's snowing and freezing. Like, I don't know. It's, ten months it's cool up there. Yeah. <laughs> I remember one day. I remember it, it was fifty degrees one day and raining when they were having a parade. Mm -hmm. And somebody made the comment, "Oh, we are so healthy, Mivara," and I'm and and that means we're so lucky with the weather. <laughs> and it was 50 degrees and raining on their parade. Wow! <laughs> oh, we're so lucky with the weather. Okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's really awesome. Well, has uh, just curious, has your ex-husband that is mentioned in this book, has he read this? Is he aware of this book? I'm sure he's aware because because I have a granddaughter through him or two granddaughters and I sent the book to uh, my ex's son, well, my stepson uh, and his family. And yeah, they, they love the book. Oh, that's they awesome. The book. And I knew that I'd be sending it to them. So I had to I had to be very diplomatic. Of course, of course. Yeah, I mean, as I would be anyway, but. Yeah, I uh, I recently just spent the weekend in Memphis. My cousin was getting married, and my step, my dad's stepdad is 93 years old, and he was telling me he just had his first girlfriend uh, look him up, and they went out to dinner. And to me, that's scary. I don't want to live to 93 and have people be like, hey, remember me? <laughs> <laughs> be careful who you know. <laughs> I know. That's way too old. I've, I've always... I, I'm looking at a sweet 70 because everybody I know in their 80s just sleeps all day. And that's, that's not a life for me. <laughs> no, the, my, I know 80-year-olds going to Iceland and, and, and at, you know, Antarctica. So I don't know. You got to know the right people, apparently. Keep going. Yeah, definitely. Well, 
Is there any advice you could give from all of your travels as far as besides the advice you've given, which is really good of, you know, still live your life because yeah, despite all the things and yeah, you really have two ways to look at it. Am I going to be miserable or am I going to keep going? Yeah. Yeah. I, a little saying that I used to teach my students, because I, I mean, I would take, I've taken five, you know, for five years, I took graduate students abroad, and many of them had never traveled before or out of the country. So I'm just used to that. So the, a little phrase I always used was don't get angry, get curious. I like that. Whenever you start feeling, and that certainly works here too, even in Tennessee, when you get angry, <laughs> when you feel yourself, here it goes. Okay, I'm going to get curious. Somehow this behavior makes sense to this person or there's something I don't understand here or whatever. So it's just good life advice, I think. Yeah, no, I've needed it here, especially just because it's a different Tennessee than I've ever been exposed to. And I mean, I made I offended somebody just by using the term redneck. I was not calling anyone a redneck. I was like, can you suggest me some redneck stuff to do? And they're like, is everyone from here a redneck? I'm like, ah, this is not going to be a good talk. This is oh. <laughs> going to work <laughs> out. Um, well, yeah, I've taken enough of your time. Thank you. But before I let you go, where can people find your book? I mean, I know it's on Amazon, but where else can people find your stuff? How can people give you money? How, how can people support you? Oh, man. Um, well, anytime that I'm that I have a gig, I have my books with me, too. So my next oh. gig, actually, instead of having a CD, I'm going to have a book with me when I play. I'm playing at Hey Bear Cafe October 7th. Hey, I guess hey. I'll pop in for that one. I I, I love yeah. seeing y'all at the Hay Bear. Are you with, uh, let's see, are you with Lon this time or who, who's? I think not with Lon. I think it's with, uh, I'm not real sure. I think David Easterling and I'm not sure who else. Mm. But. Well, I know you're always around East Tennessee area. I've seen you in Knoxville. You've played in, haven't you played in Pigeon Forge or like? Oh yeah, the listening room. Yeah. There. Uh, have and you the played Townsend in Abbey. I'm playing there November 4th, I think. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I love that you're still active with the gigs and the traveling that it just works out for you like this. I mean, that's, that's, if somebody has what I want out of a life, that's you're, you're definitely top five people I've personally met. Cause hey, that's, that's cool. Yeah. Retirement's good. You get to do what you want. And you know what? I saved, I saved money for a long time. I didn't start with it. That's for sure. But it all works out. It all works. Well, thank you very much. Again, hard fall, high bounce, check it out on, amazon.com is it for sale anywhere else do you have a website i i don't it's it's on amazon right now oh, until you, i do some more work you do too many things to not have a website you should get your own website i should you I should, should. <laughs> <laughs> well, i'll work on that thank you and thank you for rescheduling with me it's been a it's been a hectic traveling weekend myself so no worries it's all good it's all awesome good.